Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. I want you to have your Bibles handy with you. If you do, open it right to the beginning of the book. Genesis chapter 2 is actually where we're going to begin. Genesis chapter 2. And uh, this is now week 2 into our Gospel Fluency series. It's a church-wide focus for us. We have our teen students midweek working their way through the same material as us. And then kids, children, are also doing this in different contexts in the life of our church as well. And our boys came home, our teenage sons, and let us know this week, we're part of a coffee cl- club now. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. My own boys are part of one too. I didn't force them to do it. Some of you might think that that's a pastor kind of move, but they found their way into their own group, and I'm proud of them for it. If you are joining us for the first time today, let me just give you a quick recap of what we talked about last week, which was really the setup or the why this is so important for us. There was a few main thoughts that stood out last week for us. Number one is uh, having to face the fact that if we're honest, even though we follow Jesus, all of us are unbelievers. Um, We're growing in learning how to trust Jesus more and more, but when we are honest, there are lots of moments in our living where it's as if we've forgotten the good news of Jesus. We live or behave in a different kind of way, and so we need to be reminded of it. We are unbelievers. Number two, We're not even sure if we really know the gospel. We did an exercise last week where everybody had a slip of paper and had the opportunity to write down the gospel in three sentences and then score ourselves on how we did. And I think for many of us, myself included, those kind of moments are ones where we realize, you know, I'd like to get better at understanding what this is all about. Because if we're following Jesus, if we're familiar with the term gospel, most of us would understand that the the gospel is significant and it has very serious implications, like eternal ones. So it'd be pretty important or good for us to be clear on the gospel, right? So that leads us to the third thought we talked about last week, which is we need the gospel. It's not just a a one-off sort of entry door message you hear once and agree to, and then now you're in. It's this ongoing message that continues to speak life into our living. And if it matters for us, and if it's significant for us, and if it's grounded in universal reality, then it's vitally important for others. Others need the gospel. And now we begin this journey into this idea called the story of God and five trees. I I get it. I talk to people every once in a while who are newer to faith or they're making their way through the whole of scripture for the first time and they're like, this is pretty you know, intense. There's a lot of complexity and things going on. How do I make sense of this? And so this idea, the story of God and the five trees, it's going to help us understand the arc, the narrative of Scripture. It's also going to help us to really, with greater clarity, understand what the gospel is, what it's saying to our lives, what it's saying to the world around us. And I think most importantly and most wonderfully, the story of God and the five trees helps us to see not just the Bible and not just the gospel, helps us to see God and his heart. So today we're going to move in together to the first tree. You're beginning to see some of the imagery around our church building or online or on the screens. 
and we're going to look and think about the first tree. For many of us, it comes as, as no surprise. I've heard from many people who are like, okay, five trees. I, I think I've figured out one or two or three of them or maybe even four. And so some of you, it was no big surprise that we're going to Genesis chapter 2 today. So we're going to start in verse 8 in just a moment. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. As we approach Genesis, if this is new for you, Genesis, I mean, think about the, even the meaning of the word Genesis. It's sort of this beginning idea. The, the book of Genesis, especially the first, say, 11 chapters, are really, it, it's the story of origins. It's the story of our origins. And many of you have heard about or done some study on the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest. And when you pay attention to how that unfolds, there's three days of forming, and then there's three days of filling that occurs. And we see God bringing life into a lifeless universe. And it's interesting how he creates and how he brings life. If you read through the, the first several days, when God is creating, how does he do it? What does he use? Words. And he says, let there be. And then it is. And so sky and ground and stars and sun and moon and fish and birds all the things are created with the words of God. But when it comes to humanity, does he say, let there be people? No, something different happens when he creates people. Why is that? Because there's a, there's a significance about you and I. There's a significance about humanity. If you were with us in September, we spent four weeks thinking about this idea of Genesis 1.27. 1.27, we are created in the image of God. And so God creates us differently than he creates the rest of creation. Humanity is set apart with a unique opportunity to represent and reflect God into the world around us. And so when he creates people, he doesn't say, let there be people. It says he reaches into the dust and he forms people. And then he breathes life into them. He treats humanity differently than the rest of his creation. And I think that's significant. So with some of those things in mind, let's just approach these couple of verses right now, beginning in verse 8. It says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, which means delight. And there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life. I want us to think about the tree of life. The tree of life in the story of God in the five trees is the first tree. If you pay attention to its appearance here and look for it throughout scripture, you actually find that there's not a lot about it. There's mystery, there's adventure to be discovered. I want us to pay attention today to three words that I think are very important for us to have in mind when we think about the tree of life. Three words. The first word is this, gift. Gift. Can you say gift? Yeah. That was pretty good. Can you say it like you're five years old and tomorrow's Christmas? Gift. Yeah. Well, that's a lot better. I think I heard some people online there, too. Life is a gift. I don't want to get too strangely philosophical with you, but what is life? <laughs> what is life? Is it just a beating heart and breathing lungs? Or is there more to life than that? 
I'm sure there's a lot of people in our world that wonder, what is life? And, and some people might even go to the internet. <laughs> what is life? What's the meaning of life? Um, if you were to just Google life and try to find its definition according to the first thing that appears on the internet, here's what would show up. It's uh, according to Google or Oxford. It says this. It's the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. Okay, that's a little bit helpful, I think. But is that, is that life? Like, if you're on this quest to figure out what is life, I think there's a few holes in what Google and Oxford present to us. First of all, where is humanity in this? Categorically, I guess as you look at this definition, they assume we're in the animal category. But we live by a different narrative, don't we? Not one where we have just evolved out of an ape, but one where God creates us differently than the animal kingdom and the rest of creation. He forms us from the dust and then breathes life into us. So, okay, humanity is an important thing. The other thing, when I look at this definition, we live in a world where AI, artificial intelligence, is advancing rapidly. And I think when you think about the power and potential of AI, you could probably say that any AI creature created by humanity could almost be alive according to this definition. But is it alive? Is that life? Uh, if you're a serious Trekkie, or you have been, you may know who William Shatner is. William Shatner is now 91 years old. Can you believe it? And last year, he went into space. Did some of you follow that story? He went into space. And uh, it was fascinating. And there were scenes of him and his response after landing back on Earth. And um, a year has passed now, and he's now uh, written a biography that's going to be released soon called Boldly Go. I think that's good. A life, uh, reflections uh, from a life of awe and wonder. Now, uh, there's been, he's done some interviews because the book is coming out and some quotes out of the book and then some things that he's said in interviews have really captivated me in the last few weeks. I don't know if some of you have seen this circling around recently, but he has a lot to say about a feeling that he felt when he returned to earth. And the, the feeling was grief, actually. Now, uh, for the most part, in fairness to him, his focus goes towards environmental impact. And that being said... There are many things that he's put into his book and that I've picked up in some of his interviews that I find very fascinating. Comments from Shatner on life, on death, on space, and on earth. So I want to read just a selection of things that he's released recently. Listen to Shatner. He said this, We had a simulator simulate what they say you're going to feel, and it doesn't come anywhere near. So he's as he's being prepared to go into space, they put him in simulation exercises, and then he's trying to describe, it's actually nothing quite like that at all. You could talk about weightlessness all you want, but the feeling of weightlessness is indescribable. You're floating. And I don't want to turn somersaults. I don't want to throw skittles. I want to look out the window. This is him saying, 
as wild and wonderful as like weightlessness and some of the other stuff we've seen from spacey kind of images, you know, literally people throwing Skittles and they're floating across and somebody flies, sort of floats and, you know, takes a Skittle in their mouth, all that. He's like, that was of no interest to me, as wild and wonderful as floating could be. He says this, when I got up to space, I wanted to get to the window to see what it was that was out there. I looked at the blackness of space. There was no dazzling lights. It was just palpable blackness. I saw a cold, dark, black emptiness. It was unlike any blackness you can see or feel on Earth. It was deep, enveloping, all-encompassing. All I saw was death. Isn't that interesting? This is his experience. He carries on and says this, I turned back towards the light of home. I could see the curvature of earth, the beige of the desert, the white of the clouds, and the blue of the sky. It was life. <clears throat> I felt this overwhelming sadness for the earth. I thought about how we're killing everything. I didn't realize until I got down. When I stepped out of the spacecraft, I started crying. I didn't know why. Some of you saw the images of him weeping. I didn't know why. It took me hours to understand why I was weeping. I realized I was in grief for the earth. I had thought that going into space would be the ultimate catharsis of that connection I'd been looking for between all living things. That being up there would be the next beautiful step to understanding the harmony of the universe. I discovered that beauty isn't out there. It's down here with all of us. Leaving that behind made my connection with our tiny planet even more profound. We live in a world that is trying to figure out what's going on with life and what is life. Now, depending on, you know, there's all kinds of answers and ideas that are out there, but here's two main ideas you might find. Say you're walking around at a university and you go into the, the science facilities. You may begin hearing ideas like this, that life is accidental. And that becomes a big idea in our world that's sort of teased out with all kinds of different scientific approaches. Now, if you were to head uh, from that science facility at the university to a philosoph uh, philosophy wing, uh, you may begin hearing a different kind of idea, that life is not accidental, but it is this sort of faceless, impersonal entity or force. We've talked Trekkies already, Star Wars, you know the Force, if you're with me on that. I am one with the Force, the Force is with me. I watched Rogue One this week with my boys. <clears throat> um, there's this idea that life is not accidental, but life is sort of the, the powering force that is behind and in and through all things. And so life is the creator. What's interesting about both these ideas that life is either an accident or life is not an accident, but it's an impersonal, faceless force or entity. What's interesting about that is that um, there's no accountability for how we live. Like, because it's, we just happen to be. Contrast the idea of life as accident or life as not accident, but just faceless and personal entity and force with the beautiful origin account we find in scripture, which says, life is not accidental. 
And life is not faceless or impersonal. Life is a gift. God breathes it. God breathes life into us. And then God offers a tree of life to humanity, which offers an unending supply of, as uh, scholar Daryl Johnson would say, the life that God has and the life that God is to people. Life has an origin. Life has a source. Life has a meaning. Life has a purpose. Life is a gift. Today, as we think about the tree of life, the first thought I want you to have in your mind, the first word is gift. The second word is middle. In the text we looked at in Genesis 2, it says that the tree of life was in the middle of the garden. Why would God put that tree in the middle? Scholar Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, it was in the middle. That is all that's said about it. The life that comes forth from God is in the middle. This means that God, who gives life, is in the middle. In the middle of the world, which is at Adam's disposal and over which he has been given dominion, is not Adam himself, but the tree of divine life. Adam's life comes from the middle, which is not Adam himself, but God. Friends, God graciously helps us to see from the beginning that life does not work when it revolves around self or anything else that is not him. Sex is not in the middle. Relationships are not in the middle. Your family is not in the middle. Career is not in the middle. Investments and profits are not in the middle. Money and power are not in the middle. Reputation or your image is not in the middle. None of those things will ever give you life. Life is a gift and the tree is in the middle. Third word I want you to think about is choice. Gift. Oh, you didn't say middle with me. Let's say middle. middle. Oh, that was really good. And choice. choice. Now, why would I want you to think about the word choice? It's fascinating to me that God breathes life into humanity, so they're alive. They had no choice. <laughs> but then he puts a tree in the middle, and it's not automatic that they're going to eat from it, right? Choice is involved. He empowers humanity with the choice to go to the tree to take its fruit for life. Isn't that wonderful? God empowers you and I and all of humanity with choice. And the fact that life is a gift means something massively important for us to think about today. It means that you and I are dependent. Dependent. Essentially, the tree of life is a tree of dependency. That word is not always a positive feeling word for our world, or maybe even for you and I at times. But here is the choice. 
Going to the tree is a way of indicating I depend on God for all things. So the choice is this, dependence or independence. Flip over with me uh, to Genesis chapter 3. I said there's only a few verses that really reference the tree of life. Thankfully, there's one nearby chapter 2. And it says this, if you follow along with me, beginning in verse 21. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife Eve and clothed them. You see, what's going on here is Adam and Eve chose independence. And it welcomed separation, corruption into our world in a powerful way. And God doesn't withdraw or destroy. He approaches and helps. Adam and Eve felt shame in their nakedness suddenly, and so God covers. Verse 22, and the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and then live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim or angels with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I don't want you to get caught up about uh, some of the stuff that we just read in there about the, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Spoiler alert, come back next week and we'll find out a little more why that's important to us. But after humanity chose independence, a lot of powerful consequences were drawn to us. It's like we swallowed a magnet and now they're all just coming at us. And so God steps in to help right away. He covers, he gets involved. And some of us might think, oh, look, and God doesn't want them to have the, the fun and the benefit of the tree of life anymore. So God's this sort of cosmic uh, judge that's like, no, you, you can't have that good thing now because you did that bad thing. That's not what's going on. He sees you chose independence. And if you ate from the tree of life, you would be forever stuck in your independence, which would be a living hell. And so from his goodness, he says, I'm going to protect you from an eternal, self-created living hell. And so a barrier is put up between humanity and access to the tree of life. And I find that last verse fascinating. The angels are put in place to guard the way to the tree of life. And when you think about you know, the human story since that moment, when we think about even most of our lives and the lives that we observe around us, so much of the quest of the human soul is really about trying to find the true way to life, isn't it? Ever since it, we were separated from it, there's this drive, a desire inside of humanity to like find our way back, to find the true way to life. And so we write songs like Forever Young. You know that song? It's great. It's one of those songs that just randomly gets stuck in my head 
and maybe it's happening as I get older, I don't know. Um, why, do we, why does humanity write songs like Forever Young? I want to be forever young. Because for most people, when life is going right, when it's going good, there's this piece of us that's like, well, why does this have to change? Why does, why does aging and death have to happen? Couldn't I just be forever young? Now, obviously, for many people, we know what it's like to go through hard times of life for even entire countries or part of the parts of the world to be under suffering. And they're probably not singing forever young in those kind of places. But when life is working out, we're writing songs as a race called Forever Young. We're also coming up with this idea of the fountain of youth. How many movies and books and stories and show has, shows has this idea of the fountain of youth shown up in? I remember as a little kid, like DuckTales, they were after the fountain of youth too. Ducks that want to live forever. Why does that story show up over and over again in our storytelling? Because there is something built into us as people that's trying to figure out what's the true way to life. God graciously has restricted access so that we don't create an eternal living hell for ourselves and the world around us. But that hasn't stopped us from trying to figure out what's the true way to life. Enter Jesus, John 4, 16, uh, 14, 6. He says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Could it be, friends, that Jesus, God incarnate, is life incarnate? John 10, 10. I have come that people may have life and have it to the full. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who trusts in me will live. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Is that not good news? I want you to think about this with me. This passage is pointing towards both life after death and life right now. There is a promise and a hope, and this is going to become clearer through this series, that you and I have the opportunity to experience what it may be like to be forever young, to eat again of this tree of life, to be renewed, to be redeemed, to have everlasting life because of Jesus. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That's what it's talking about. A life that's after death. A life that's everlasting. A life that's linked only to Jesus. But if we have that life after death and we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in us, does that change anything about how we live out our lives today? Does it? Does it offer any hope to how life goes today? You and I know what it's like to have a rotten Wednesday. You know what it's like to have a pretty good Wednesday too. Does this passage speak hope or life in any way into that kind of Wednesday? You might be facing an obstacle or a circumstance or a challenge 
Friends, don't forget that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that overcame death itself with overwhelming resurrection life, that spirit is not apart from you, is not somewhere sort of outside over there. That spirit is alive in you. And that life is for you right now. It's not just a future promise for eternity. It's doing things in you right now. And it can do things through you right now. Friends, the life, the very life of Jesus in you right now means hope for you. And it means hope for others. It means help for you and help for others. It means purpose for you and purpose for others. As we move towards concluding today. I think there's something interesting for us to pay attention to that has to do with eating. And uh, how many people are happy to think about eating right now? Oh, it's so good. Food is good. We were singing, I wasn't planning to say this, but we were singing a lot earlier about the goodness of God. And I think there's so many evidences that you and I could spend time thinking about, about God's goodness. You know, and this is going to sound cheesy or maybe cliche or typical when, if you know me well, but one of the things I think about often as an evidence of God's goodness, taste buds. I've got a friend that's quite scientifically wired, and I was like, I think taste buds are fascinating, and they, they're just like, they started thinking about it. They're like, actually, it is interesting from a scientific perspective. Those who would believe very strongly in an evolutionary point of view there's really no rhyme or reason for why taste buds should be developing. There's no advantage for those who have taste buds because there are some toxic things that are very bitter and that could tell us to avoid it. But then there's other toxic things that taste delicious. So from an, you know, if you're approaching the idea of life from a very evolutionary point of view, you taste buds, why did we have them? Isn't it a wonderful idea that God it's like, you're gonna to need to eat to live. So you might as well have the opportunity to enjoy it. Taste buds, let there be. <laughs> he is good. I mean, you had to eat to live. It's wonderful. So God wants to give humanity the opportunity to have ongoing life and so he doesn't put like a cassette tape in the garden and say, listen to this whenever you want to. He puts a meal in the middle and says, eat. I think there's an interesting parallel for us to pay attention to. Eat of the tree of life and you take in God's life. You receive ongoing life. The tree of life, friends, points to Jesus. Eat of Christ, and you take in the life of God. You receive ongoing life. Some of you may wonder sometimes, why do we do the communion thing with the little shot glasses and those terrible crackers? Why do we have the mini meal? Because it points to a better, bigger meal. The opportunity for you and I to taste and see that the Lord is good. To eat Christ and receive the ongoing life of God in us. In John chapter six, verse 57, Jesus said this, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. In his book, 
called A Meal with Jesus. Tim Chester says this, before the fall, food was the way we expressed our obedience and trust in God. Eating continues to express our dependence on God and our submission to his good reign. In the garden, it was, will you eat of the tree of life? In our day now, it includes, will you eat of Christ? Will you partake of his body, of his blood? So when we think of the first tree in the story of God and the five trees, I want you to think of the tree of life, and I want you to remember that it's not just a tree of life, it's a tree of dependence. So the question for you and I today is, will you choose dependence? question for the Comox Valley is, will you choose dependence? I wonder if you'd stand with me right now. I want to lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to sing in response. If you're comfortable with the idea of it, would you just hold out your hands in sort of a symbolic, receptive posture? Father, in a moment like this, together as a church family, we want to acknowledge you as creator. You are at the center of the origin of all things. And you give life, and it is a gift. Just in this moment of quietness and response, I'm inviting each person here. Dependence is a big thought. Would you just take a moment, and if you're willing to sort of renew your commitment to Christ in a fresh way today, would you just, in your own words, quietly from your soul, speak your dependence to God? Not your independence, but your dependence upon him. know that a significant portion of our church family are working through what we're talking about on Sundays in midweek groups, coffee clubs, pop-up groups, life groups, and with other friends. I want to just put up on the screen for you to see our discussion questions for this week. These will be online, uh, could be later today, definitely tomorrow for you to guide you through your group time together. For those that are working their way through the book, Gospel Fluency, read chapters four and five of the book. And then be prepared to just share a little bit. What, what was a highlight? What were a few things that stood out to you? What challenged you from the book? What are you kind of working through? Five questions, five things to do. First one is about the tree of life and the three words, gift, middle choice. Which one stands out to you? Why? Then read Romans 8, 11. A couple questions that come out of that. Then this idea of the tree of life being the tree of dependence, talking about that. Then communion and prayer. Through these seven weeks in our groups, we're going to practice communion happening, not just on Sundays, but while we're together through the week. And that's such a healthy expression 
of taking in the Lord's body together. I think on the heels of us thinking about a tree of life of which we eat and receive God's life, sharing in communion together will mean some good things for us together this week. And then just quickly, the fifth and last one. One of the things that we want to do this year, each year we do Christmas outreach in a variety of ways through our church family. This year, we want to give special emphasis for Christmas outreach to happen relationally through groups. So with whomever you're meeting with, whoever you're going through gospel fluency with together, would you begin scheming together? What's something we could do as a group of three or four or eight or whatever we are? Is there a single mom in the neighborhood that one of us has that we could take care of this Christmas season? Maybe we could make a miracle happen on our street or there's somebody we know with this particular need. What's important is we want people who don't know Jesus yet to feel the gospel given to them somehow. To feel it, not necessarily hear it, but to feel it. So brainstorm together and each week in your groups you'll begin uh, continue in working on those plans. Let's pray together as we conclude today. We haven't done this yet, let's put our hands over our heart. Father, together, now we acknowledge that we're going into your world and we're going into your world on your mission. And we declare together again our dependency upon you. Help our hearts, which, boy, we find our ways into independence so easily. Would you help our hearts, especially this week? We declare this week we need you. We need the power of your spirit with us. We want your love and your truth to flow through us, your message, your ministry, into the everyday stuff of this life. We can't do it on our own. We need your spirit, and we need one another. Bless each person, each household represented here and online as we go now this week. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, and everybody said... Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. 